this morning. It is a, a joy to be gathered in worship. Uh, before I jump in, I want to make a quick announcement. Um, for those of you who don't realize this, Corey, where are you going? For those of you who don't realize this, and maybe you've lost track of time, but we are celebrating one year with Corey as our associate pastor leading us in worship. You're going to be so mad at me later for this, aren't you? So I am, uh, this guy, um, I'm going to brag on him for a minute, even though he hates this. Uh, I got to tell you, this, Beth just nodded at me, yes, he does hate this, um, but that's okay. That's why I get to do this. Yay, me. Uh, so I got to tell you, for this past year, it has been great, not only leading worship with this man, but watching this man lead his family, watching him disciple people, and watching him do all that while still walking through seminary. I mean, it has been an incredible encouragement. I, yeah, you remember that. My, that was my mom clapping. She's like, yes and amen. Um, it has been incredible watching this man just continue to grow in his faith and lead people in faith. And so, Corey, man, I am so thankful for you. This year has been the most incredible blessing having you on staff. Um, I'm thankful to have you as a colleague, but more importantly, to have you as a brother and a friend. And, uh, man, I love you. And I'm looking forward to years of service together. So. We're not bro-hugging, y'all know. Oh, the scripture says we should greet one another with a holy kiss, but we'll pass on that later. So anyway, Corey, I've embarrassed you enough. God bless you, man. Thank you for your service. Anyway, oh man, it's good celebrating that guy, and I, I probably will hear about that tomorrow. I'm sure he's going to make a note in his journal here in a moment, so that'll be okay. That's a note I will willingly accept. Well, we are still walking through 1 Timothy together. We're still in our series called Letters from the Pastor. If you've noticed already down front, there's a little more commotion where the Harvey family sits. That's because the grandmother is here for the next month. And so don't applaud that. You should pray. Why are we applauding? No, no, no. So anyway, it's good to have mom here. This is in light of COVID and the pandemic. This is actually the first time uh, we've been together. My mom and our family have been together since Christmas, and so um, it's good to finally be here to be together, and she is an active worshiper, as you can tell, and I am, praise the Lord, I am thankful for that. I really am. So if you, uh, if you come in one Sunday and you're feeling a bit discouraged and need a bit of a pick-me-up for worship, uh, sit beside her, um, and I promise you, you will be encouraged and edified if you are here and you uh, want to embarrass the people you're with, sit beside her, and I promise she will accomplish everything you ask or imagine. So anyway, mom, it's good to have you in town. Well, we are, again, like I said, we're in First Timothy. We're still walking through First Timothy together. This is our series called Letters from the Pastor. We've already walked through Paul's words uh, to Titus, and now we're still looking at Paul's words here um, to Timothy, and we're going to be moving further into, along into this series and into this text. Um, and ultimately begin seeing Paul address more issues with Timothy, uh, not at Timothy or towards Timothy, but more issues that Paul needs to address for Timothy and also for Timothy's local church that he is pastoring, which is the church at Ephesus. So I'm hoping that today as we walk through 1 Timothy 4 together that we will see that the church is ultimately God's house. And as God's people in God's house, I hope that we see today that we are called to live according to the truth of the gospel. So as we're going to see, and we've already said this in light of 1 Timothy 1 and 2 and 3, and now here we are in 1 Timothy 4, here is another important Sunday 
as Paul will address not only uh, several concerns that he has with the church at Ephesus, but he's going to address some concerns that we are now seeing today as the modern church, which is this. There is now a lack of priority placed upon the local church. You see, when we read the New Testament, we see the importance of the local body of believers. We see the importance of the local church. And yet, as we get into our times, these current modern times that we are living in, we see now that more and more believers are walking away from the local church, not because of a lack of faith in Jesus Christ, per se, but because of a lack of interest or a lack of passion for the local church. Now, Mark Dever, a, a, a wonderful pastor, wrote a book entitled The Church, says these words. He says, the doctrine of the church is like a decoration on the front of a building. Maybe it's pretty, maybe it's not. But finally, it is and becomes unimportant because it bears no weight for the people. You see, the church is the most visible part of Christian theology, and it is vitally connected with every other part of our faith. You see, just as Mark Dever admits, and as we will see in our text, and as we are currently seeing all around us, sadly, there are many professing believers who now see the local church as both irrelevant and optional when it comes to attendance. In fact, with today's advancement in technology, you don't even have to leave the home in order to attend church anymore. Rather, you can download the latest sermon from your favorite pastor, and now you can have access to church from the comfort of your own home and from your very couch. And so it's at this particular point that we need to begin asking ourselves, is this really what God intended for the local church? Is this what God intended for the body of believers? You see, as we look to Scripture and as we search through the Word of God, we see it's the Word of God that calls us actually to have a high view of the local church. You see, when you look at Matthew chapter 16 and verses 18 through 19, we see that Jesus Christ is the one who founded the church. You look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, and we see it was Jesus Christ who died for the church. We look to the Gospel of John in John chapter 3 verse 29, and we see Jesus here calling the church his bride. And then again in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 30, he says that the church is a part of his very own body. These are Paul's words to the church at Ephesus. Then we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, a passage that we covered this past week. And again, Paul, in speaking to Timothy, speaks to the high value that God places upon the church. He helps us to see the priority of the church, the purpose of the church, the necessity of the church. And so as we are going to see, jumping into 1 Timothy chapter 4 today, we are going to begin seeing the importance of the gathered body. And we're also going to begin seeing why Paul tells us that as a local church, we are now living in later times. 
So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you now to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And once you have found your place there, if you can and are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, these are Paul's words to Timothy, to the church at Ephesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes... Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God cre- or excuse me, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer if you put these things before the brothers you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths rather train yourself for godliness For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have for these next few moments to just to spend time studying your word. Father, we pray that you would lay all distractions aside so that we could focus on you in these next few moments. God, prepare our hearts for your truth today. Help us to see you and what it is that you've called us to according to your word. Father, we thank you already for the time that we've had worshiping you in song and worshiping you through prayer and through the reading of the text. And Father, we pray now that you'd prepare our hearts as we worship you through the study of your word and as we, again, at the end of this message, prepare to come to your table. Father, we pray that you and you alone would be glorified. Father, draw us close to you. Help us to seek you in all things. Father, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. Now be with us in these next few moments, for it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
Now, as we are going to get into our text today in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to see actually a twofold application to our passage. The first is this. We're going to see personal instructions specifically to Timothy. You see, these words in 1 Timothy chapter 4 can be seen as applying directly to Timothy and to the elders of the church at Ephesus. And so what Paul is going to do is he's going to show us how to lead the church and what it is that the leaders and the pastors and the teachers should be doing as they lead the church. Our second application that we're going to see is that Paul is clearly speaking to issues that should be important to all of us as members and as all of us as a part of the local body. You see, since we are speaking in terms of latter times here in verse 1, we can know that what is being said by Paul is vital to everyone who is a part of the body of Christ. Now, just so we are clear in using the phrase latter times here in the New Testament, Paul here is not speaking of the end times as we have often saw or seen or thought. He's not speaking of prophecy that is found within Revelation. Rather, he is looking at the time that exists between the ascension of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so we, according to Paul, are now living in that time. And so because we are living in this time, as a local church, as a body of believers, we now have a call to be vigilant in those latter days before the Lord returns. And so it's at this point that we have to ask ourselves, as a local church, how are we to live in these later times? Well, first we can look to verses 1 through 3, and we see that Paul calls us to guard the truth. Now, notice what's happening here in Paul's letter to Timothy as we jump into uh, chapter 4 here. Paul doesn't waste time into getting into yet another issue that is plaguing the church. And so he wastes no time in telling Timothy and the church at Ephesus and for us today that there will be some who will depart from the faith. Now, unlike several scholars today, this does not mean that people can and will lose their salvation. That is not what Paul is speaking of when he speaks of these words. In fact, when we look to scriptures and we see what Jesus Christ says of salvation, we know that losing salvation is not possible. However, when it comes back to Paul speaking to Timothy, Paul does point us to the issue that the people of Ephesus were beginning to question the true teaching of Jesus Christ and the very word of God. They were now believing again in what Paul has already been telling us about, which is these false teachers, and not only were they now believing in it, but they were now spreading these false teachings, not only through the local church, but also within their local community. And so Paul warns us, and he warns Timothy, to watch out for these particular people. Now what this means is this. 
It does not mean for us that as believers in Christ, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to working out our faith, that if we should ever ask questions, we should be the type of people who never question our faith. You see, questions are good and right. Questions help us grow in our understanding. Questions help us grow in our understanding of the word, and they also help us grow in righteousness. However, one thing we need to rest on for certain is this, is that we should not be questioning the very validity and truth that can be found in the word of God. Also, we see Paul not only speaking of this questioning, but he also is speaking to these false teachers. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy and the church at Ephesus that we need to be careful with who it is that we are listening to and what it is that they are saying. You see, false teachers and false teaching can creep into the local church at any point. And so here Paul again is showing us the seriousness of false teaching. In fact, he goes on to call this false teaching a demonic teaching. Now, this actually occurs when he says to the people that they were devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and to teachings of demons. You see, Paul is literally saying to us here today that false teaching itself is demonic. That false teaching is straight from hell. He goes on to say that these particular false teachers in verse 2 are liars whose consciences are now seared. You see, these teachers have now become numb to the truth of the word of God because they have believed and placed their hope in a false teaching that teaches counter to what it is that scripture teaches. He will then go on later to say in verse 7 that these people now teach that which is irreverent and that which can be called silly myths. You see, this is important for us to know because these teachers don't just show up in our church wearing signs. These false teachers don't all of a sudden show up in our church and they have on t-shirts and say, good news, I am a false teacher. Rather, they blend right in with us. In fact, one thing that we can rest assured in the modern church is there's never going to be a point where someone stands up as a teacher or an elder in the church and they declare, hello, my name is Bob. My conscience is seared, and I am here as a teacher to spread silliness and lies. So who's with me? We are never going to hear those words. Rather, we need to understand that false teachers are deceptive. We need to recognize that often these false teachers are people who already appear in the church and they claim that what they are spreading is the truth. Now this is nothing new for us today. We, we are not the first ones to ever deal with false teachings in the local church. In fact, we also know according to the word of God that false teachers probably already existed within the local church. If you go back and look at Acts chapter 20 in verse 30, we're taught that it was actually possible for the false teachers to even be elders within the church. That's why as a body of believers, as members of the church, 
this is why we need to listen to what it is that is being said and what it is that is being taught. You see, many teachers and elders will come to us, and because of their position of authority, we will take what it is that they say as truth, even though it does not come from the Word of God. You see, this was a problem that obviously Paul has spent a lot of time thinking on, a lot of time dealing with. This was a problem that was rampant in Titus's church. It's obviously a problem that was rampant in Timothy's church. It was a problem that was rampant in the first century. And sadly, this false teaching is still alive and well in our churches today. You see, the truth is the world and the church are full of theology that is unbiblical. Let me give you some examples. Currently today, we have what can be called prosperity theology. This is where people believe that if you trust in Jesus, he will give you health and wealth and happiness. The problem is that is not at all what Scripture teaches about Jesus Christ. He does not teach us that if you put your hands on the television screen or you call this 800 number and order this special hanky that all of a sudden you will have all the money you could ever ask for. That is a false gospel. It is a gospel that is plaguing our country. It is a gospel that is plaguing our world today. Next, we see examples of cult theology. This is where we get a picture of God that is not biblical. This is where we give characteristics and attributes to God and to man that Scripture clearly refutes or Scripture does not even speak of. That then leads to what we see uh, that is a huge issue in our country today, which is popular theology. In other words, this is when people believe in ideas about life and possessions and heaven and end times that ultimately make us feel good and can often be found in best-selling books that are not the Bible. If I could give a clear example of this, the Da Vinci Code in Dan Brown's book, though a good book is still fiction, that God does not exist. That is not who our God is. You see, for us, it should not surprise us when someone claims to have faith and then we find that they are a false teacher. In fact, it should not surprise us in the local church when we see someone claim to have faith and then they are declared a false teacher and then ultimately they walk away from the local church or they walk away from their faith. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says to us that they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. You see, some people in the church who exist in the church who seem to be Christians, they call themselves Christians, they go through the motions of Christianity, will ultimately one day prove that they were not walking in biblical truth and they will walk away from the word of God and ultimately they will walk away from the fellowship of believers. You see, God, according to 
to his word has told us that this will happen. So you see, when we see people, we see people walk away. This should not surprise us. Rather, it should sadden us. You see, we know, according to the word, that the consequences of false teaching is eternally disastrous. It's why Paul urges the believers and Timothy to confront men who were teaching that which is false. We see this back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. So as believers in Christ, like a, a colleague and a, and a pastor friend of mine once said, he said these words of the church, one of the last great mission fields that we have can be found within the walls of the local church. It is the people. It is the people who go through the motions, who claim to be believers, yet they do not acknowledge the word of God, nor do they live according to the standard that is set before them in the word of God. So as believers in Christ, we need to wield the word of God in order to wage spiritual warfare. You see, we need to know the word so that we will be able to detect error when it is taught in the local church. Secondly, we see that as a local church living in the latter days, we are called, according to verse 4 and 6, to live with purity. Now again, Paul here is sticking with the false teachers, and so he now turns his attention to the believers to remind them of the call to purity. Now he does this by showing us two specific errors within the false teachers. He tells us first that false teachers deny the goodness of God. Secondly, we see that false teachers then try again to distort the very word of God. Now again, this is not surprising to Paul. This shouldn't even shock Timothy or his elders, and this really shouldn't be a surprise to us today. You see, this has been a problem that we have been plagued with since the beginning of time. You can go back and see it first when you read Genesis chapter 3. There we see the serpent, the serpent who emphasizes God's power and greatness. Notice these things are good and right, according to the word, and yet minimizes God's love and goodness. We then see Eve being tempted, and Adam, as a reminder, abdicating his role as leader. It's at that point the serpent then leads Eve to believe that God does not have her best interest in mind. And so Eve buys into the lie. She questions the very goodness of God. His word is then distorted and Eve sins along with Adam. You see, this very similar problem that we have seen in Genesis chapter 3 is now happening in 1 Timothy chapter 4. These false teachers were now teaching that certain foods should not be eaten and that people should not be married, according to verse 3. 
It's at that point that Paul argues that both marriage and food are good gifts from the very hand of God and should be received with gratitude from God, according to verse 4 and 5. Verse 3, we see the problem of the false teaching. Verse 4 and 5, we now have the solution, according to Paul and according to the very word of God. You see, by guarding the truth, by living with purity, purity defined as living according to the word of God, when we are doing these things, we will be able to watch out for the false teachers who deny the goodness of God and attempt to distort the very word of God. So all of us as believers in Christ, not just elders within the church, are now responsible to detect this type of error. To ask ourselves, how can we even detect false claims when we are not living in purity according to God's holy word? If we are not living by God's word and the standard that he has set before us, then how will we be able to tell what is good and what is false? How will we be able to tell what is true according to the word and right and what is false? We then move from there and we get into verse 6 and we see Paul's words here. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. In other words, here is Paul teaching us that to live with purity means that we always put God's truth before the church. We allow the word of God to saturate and to permeate through the church. When we come to the church, we recognize that we are not gathered for the individuals. We are not gathered for the people. We are gathered for the glory of God. And we do it in worship as we study His Word and sing His Word together. That is why the body gathers. You see, as believers, we have been called to guard truth by ultimately combating falsehood. We do this by, again, listening to teaching of the Word of God. That is true. We do this by teaching with authority. So as believers in Christ, we should read the Word. We should be able to speak the Word. We should have a good understanding of the Word. We should be able to explain and exhort the Word. And we should also be willing to submit ourselves to the authority of the very Word of God. In other words, we can't walk around as believers in Christ and begin to tell people how we feel about the Word. The Word of God either says it or it doesn't. It's not a matter of loose interpretation. And if you don't know, it's okay to say, I don't know, but I will read and I will research it. If you don't know, ask a pastor. If you don't know, ask one of your elders. If you don't want to ask either of those men or any of those brothers, then do some research that goes beyond Google and Wikipedia. Pick up a commentary and read. 
You see, it is important for all of us as believers in Christ to know the word of God. Secondly, we see, according to Paul's words here, is that we are to combat falsehood by living with purity. Now, this living with a purity, again, it occurs when our doctrine is seen within our very lives. So when we think about what we believe in the Bible, we now have to ask ourselves, is what we believe now coming out in how we live? Can people tell who we are and what it is that we believe, not only by our words, but also by our actions? You see, here's the great example for us. We continue to tell people that God is sovereign and that we are to live by faith and not by fear. And so here's the question for all of us as believers. How are we doing in light of that today? You heard Pastor Corey allude to it earlier. Too many Christians right now are putting their hope in a politician or politicians who will ultimately one day fail you. We are putting our hope in men and women who are politicians who will one day die just like the rest of us and be turned to ash. Our hope should rest on nothing more than the word of God and God himself. It is Jesus Christ who has provided salvation and hope for our eternity. And so that is where our hope should lie. You see, as believers, we are, we are living in later times. And I'm not going to sit here and try to predict for you when Jesus is coming back. I mean, personally, I would love for Jesus to come back right now. Wouldn't that be great? But I'm not God. Praise God. If I were, several of my sports teams would look a little different right now. I'm just going to be honest. Several of your sports teams may look a little different right now. Praise God that he is God and we are not. I don't know when he's going to return. I know that I desire his return, but as long as I am here, as long as we are living in these later days, then it's my responsibility to guard the truth that is the word of God and to live with purity according to living to the standard that is set by the word of God. You see, when I think of these words, I think of the example that was given to us by Robert Murray McShane, a pastor who lived in Scotland in the early 1800s. Now, this man was used mightily by God through his local church. Sadly, McShane was called home to glory when he was only 30. And yet before he died, he said these words. In speaking of the local church and the faith family that he was leading, he said this, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. You see, when we hear these words according to the very word of God, this quote ought to lead us as teachers and as elders. It ought to lead us as mature believers and adults to encourage one another and to exhort one another and to edify one another to live a life of personal purity and holiness. 
It's just like I said to our students last week. And I think they would all come up here and, and testify to this. We were talking last week about the, the very word of God, according to 1 Timothy uh, in chapter 3. And the question that was posed to them was this. If someone was to follow you for one day and then become like you the next, what would that person be like? If someone were to follow us for one day and then the very next they looked like us, they dressed like us, they walked and they talked like us, what would they look like? And so now as believers, we have to ask ourselves, do we model holiness? Do we model purity? Now, Paul moves from there in the verses 7 through 10, and he teaches us that as a local church living in these latter days, we are now to train for godliness. Now, here Paul moves on to teach Timothy and teach the church at Ephesus that as we combat error, as we uphold truth, we must also be willing to train ourselves for what is to come in eternity. We see this in verses 7 and 8 when Paul says these words, Train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You see, this passage for the believer should resonate well for us. In fact, in speaking these words to Timothy in the church at Ephesus, these words probably resonated well with the Ephesians as it was the Ephesians who spent a great deal of time and money training athletes for the purpose of festivals and competitions. You see, the church, or excuse me, the, the people of Ephesus wanted their athletes to be the best. And so they knew what it would take to be the best. It would take resources, it would take work, and it would take commitment. In other words, Ephesus wanted to be like the New York Yankees. Or better yet, the New York Yankees probably wanted to be like Ephesus. They wanted to win at any cost. No matter the price tag, they were willing to pay it. They wanted to be the best of the best, and they wanted to be known as the city that gave the world the greatest athletes. Now, Paul probably had this in mind as he was talking about the training of the body. Now, again, don't mishear what Paul is saying, and don't mishear your pastor today. Training of the body, even though Paul speaks of spiritual training being more important, training of the body is certainly valuable, okay? As your pastor, I did not offer you a biblical excuse to stop working out and stop eating healthy and then tell your doctors that you have a biblical reason why you now eat chocolate cake every day. You see, we need to care for our bodies, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, so we should eat well and exercise well. However, in looking at Paul's words, our physical training should pale in comparison to our training in godliness. You see, we need to be people who not only read the word, memorize the word, and know the word. We need to be people who train in prayer. 
We need to be people who are also trained in the word, understanding what the word says. We need to be people who train in fasting. We need to be people who are trained in worship. And yes, we are to be people who are trained in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, I got to tell you, one of the most encouraging things that I love about modern technologies, I love getting text messages from so many of you, and many of you send prayer requests my way, and, and I want you to know that we as your staff, we pray over these requests. When I get them, I am praying for them. And I am thankful for prayer requests that, that call for healings and call for good surgeries. And, and I do pray for them, but i got to just be honest for a moment. The, one of the most encouraging text messages was actually not one message. It was a set of four messages that I received from a brother in this room who texted me and said, Hey, pray for this conversation with this person because they are sharing the gospel of Jesus with a neighbor. It was then followed with another, another text message. Hey, make sure you pray for this person who's now going to be sharing the gospel over a meal with a particular person who's not only not a believer, but they are of another faith. You see, I can't help but wonder, as believers in Christ, when was the last time we shared the gospel with someone? In a moment here, as we close out this service, we're going to come to the table where we are going to acknowledge the goodness of God and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. And then we're going to walk out through red doors that remind us of the blood of Jesus Christ and the atonement that was paid on our behalf. And so then the question for us as believers is how are we telling people about that good news? You see, that's on us as people who are living in later times we need to recognize that our physical bodies will they're only going to last for so many years brother larry i'm looking at you you and i've had this conversation several times haven't we these bodies as good as they look and you may be the most good looking man in the room they only last for so long But here's the reality. Even though our physical bodies will not last, the gains that we get from godliness will endure forever. You see, we need to realize that this moment that Paul is speaking of, this moment is preparation for what is to come. And so the question is this, not only are we willing to run the race well, but are we now prepared and ready to finish the race well? This leads to Paul's final point here in verses 11 through 16, where he teaches us um, that in living as a local church in the later days or in these later times, we are now also called to draw people to Jesus Christ. You see, Paul now moves us really into a couple of final applications for us to think about and to think through as we live into the latter days. First, we see that we are to continue to work out our salvation persistently. We see this in verse 16 when Paul says, persist in these things. Now, Paul calls us here to persist in our godly training until our last 
days. In other words, Paul realizes that we are growing in righteousness. And this righteousness will ultimately come to completion as we look more and more like the image of Jesus Christ. So he calls us all as faithful believers, as a local body, to remain diligent in our own personal walk. We then have to ask ourselves, well, why is this call to work out our salvation persistently? Why is this so important? Well, this leads to Paul's second and final application here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He teaches Timothy and the church at Ephesus that as we work out our salvation, that, that working out of salvation can and will lead others to salvation both locally and globally. In other words, Paul is not saying here that we are the ones who save people. Only Jesus Christ can do that. However, Paul does tell us that Jesus has brought salvation to people through him and through the local church. You see, healthy churches mean healthy displays of the gospel to the lost world. So when, when people, when people look particularly at this body, when people look to Southside Baptist Church, a beacon of Jesus Christ, a message of hope for our local community and throughout the world, when people look at this body, do they see people working out their salvation? Do they see something that they want to be a part of? Do they see a healthy church that is immersed in making Jesus Christ known and a church that is immersed in making His Word known? Do they see a place that is teaching the Word faithfully and loving others boldly? You see, here's our truth for today. When the goodness of Jesus Christ, the, the character of Jesus Christ, and the word of Jesus Christ is evident in the church, then the people of the world will take notice. And yes, they will be drawn to him. You see, nothing, no pandemic, no politician will ever close the doors for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as believers, we need to remember that we are living in the later days. And as believers living in those days, we need to long for the return of Jesus Christ. But as we are living, let us guard the truth of the word of God so that people will be saved by it. Let us be people who live with purity so others can see the difference that Jesus Christ can make in someone's life. Let us train for godliness so that people will see in us the very majesty and wonder of the mystery of Jesus Christ. And in everything we do, may it draw people to our great Lord and Savior.
You see, as Paul said, we are living in the later days. And according to Paul, from the very word of God, this is how Jesus Christ has called us to live. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day. Father, we praise you for the opportunity that we have to be gathered in this place. We thank you for the call that you've placed upon each one of our lives. Father, we thank you that we're here as believers. For those who are believers, we're here because of what you have done. We're here because of how you revealed yourself to us. Not because of anything we did, not because of anything we said, not because of any accolade we may have or any position we've ever held. We are here because of you. And so, Father, we pray that in our lives and our actions and our words, we pray that you and you alone would be glorified. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this truth that we have been called to hold dear and to guard. We thank you for the standard that has been given to us according to your word. We thank you that by your word, we now have the blueprint for how we are to live. And because of you and your holiness, because of your grace, we now have the opportunity to tell people about who you are. Lord, this is not about us. This is solely about you. So Father, we pray now that as we move from our time and the message and this teaching, as we move into communion, as we remember what it was that you did for us, as we celebrate the grace and forgiveness that can be found in knowing you. Father, we pray that in these next few moments, you and you alone would be glorified. Jesus, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.